So if you wondered what it's like to become a learning organization, because we all talk about learning organizations all the time, do you wonder what it takes? Today's podcast, I think, will give you a glimpse into some important milestones on that journey. Sit back and let's see what happens. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. How art thou? I hope thou art good. He says sort of, uh, that's almost biblical kind of, thou art good. That sounds pretty serious. So today is another podcast day because we can't have enough. Um, thanks for listening, you guys. I can't believe, it's hard to understand, it's, it's amazing to me. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, how many people listen to a podcast about this stuff? But I'm glad you're here, and and it seems to always grow. I mean, it's it's just getting larger and larger and bigger and bigger. Tell your friends if you get a chance, if you think it helps. Of course, you can use these any way you want to, so never worry about that. I mean, use them in class. Use them, I don't care. I mean, if if you spend time worried about intellectual property ownership, then you have to spend a lot of time with attorneys and chasing. Uh, who cares? It's just it's information about safety and reliability. What kind of jerk would keep that at close hold? That, that's just a rhetorical question. You don't have to actually put an answer on that unless you have a name. And then I'm super interested if you do. So it's um, it's fall in the United States, but it's such a weird year. 2020 sucks. There's just no getting around it. This sucks. This whole year sucked. But fall in New Mexico is a really special time because you can smell the chilies roasting, which I'm totally serious you can. The pinyon pine has got a really special aroma. Uh, the days are nice and warm and the evenings are cool. I'm not making you jealous. I mean, I'm not saying this to make you jealous. I'm just telling you, uh, I'm really enjoying not traveling <laughs> a lot. And I'm about to crack a 1,000 miles on my e-bike. What do you think? Huh? Hmm? Did you think that was possible? That is a lot of time on a bicycle considering I go, I bet I go... I think best case scenario would be 15 miles an hour, but I think realistically, I bet I'm I'm closer to like eight or nine miles an hour. So you figure that out. That's a lot of hours in a seat, but I do have an old man seat, a big old man seat, because why wouldn't I can't, I can't figure out why you wouldn't have the most comfortable bike seat in the world. Seriously. Think it over. I mean, we talk about systems managing systems, stability systems, influencing behavior. Why wouldn't you have a good bike seat? Uh, just, just a question. It's, again, I'm filled with rhetorical questions. Maybe that's because today's podcast is that kind of podcast. And that I'm actually really excited about. I think you're going to like um, this podcast. So this last week was the uh, 2020 HPRCT, Human Performance Root Cause Trending. Um, and that name should be changed. I'll just put that out there. That is the worst name for an organization in the whole world. But anyway, they did their conference online and uh, I was able to capture some of our friend Charles Major's presentation. And I captured it because I, I, I really wanted to share the presentation because his presentation is on how his organization is constantly striving to become a learning organization. Now, he doesn't say they are a learning organization. He would never say that. That's a pretty bold thing. 
But he talks about the journey they're on, and he talks about what it takes and what they've learned and what some pitfalls are. And it's completely a great presentation. It's completely worth our time. I mean, I think you'll really appreciate listening to it. And it, it's it's the kind of thing where I was able to take out the things that um, were a part of a conference presentation that we, you know we don't really care that much about. And I I sort of focused on the meat of his presentation, and then the a couple follow up questions that sort of build on that. And that's what I want to share with you guys today. I think you'll find it to be. No, let me take that back. I know you'll find it to be a really good use of your time because he's got a lot of good stuff to say. If To me, it felt reinforcing and comfortable, but that's kind of how Charles is. He's a reinforcing, comfortable dude uh, with, with spiky hair, pokey hair. Is it pokey or spiky? Which is the right word for that? So that, that's the pod for today. How are you doing? Um, everything okay? Is... Uh, is is your life getting more normalized to the new world in which we hang out? Because you guys that aren't in the United States, don't pity us because that feels weird. But send us love because it, it is just a bizarre time to be alive. And there's, it's just, I don't even know what to say. It's just weird how much stuff's going on and, and what that looks like. And um, we're living through it, but I mean, I, I think there's never been a more interesting time to think about the collision of systems and personality and politics and people, which are things we think about a lot. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast on a sign I saw in a restaurant that I found to be really interesting and quite challenging. And that's coming up, so be ready for that one. But until then, I really think it's time that we hang out and listen to Charles. And I think you'll think the same thing. I mean, that's how interesting this podcast is. So I'm going to give a, a quick overview of what's going to happen. So this will be kind of the end of his presentation, the last 10 minutes of his presentation. And then I'll uh, I'll go into a couple questions that he answered. And I'll ask the questions because I didn't ask the people who asked the questions if I could use their voice in the podcast. And they kind of might out their company a little. So I'll, I'll sort of uh, I'll ask, I'll, int- I'll interpret the question so that it's scrubbed for professionalism. That's a good way to say that. But as far as using Charles' voice, uh, there's no problem there. And a special thanks to the people that put together that HPRCT conference. I think it was pretty valuable. I, I certainly had a good time in my presentation, and I was fortunate to watch a couple others, which is a real treat for me as well, because I don't often get to do that, because I'm usually trying to fly in and out to make the dumb speech. But, you know, now the commute's pretty easy. Get up, walk to the chair, give a presentation. Get up, go back to bed. That's that's the answer. That's what I'm doing. Until then, though, listen to uh, to this and enjoy it, I think. Uh, this might be the kind of one where you might want to take some notes on. I mean, not if you're driving. That would be stupid. But th- there's quite a bit of content in here um, that's worth your while to listen to. So listen to it a couple times. Maybe that'll help you as well. Sorry about the recording quality, but it's what you get. I mean, it's a new world. All of a sudden, recording quality hardly matters because everybody's on some kind of Zoom call or Teams call making things happen. So with no further ado, that's French. This is Charles Major at the 2020, the suckiest year of all, HPRCT conference. He's the opening keynote the first day. And here's at least a part of Charles's presentation. 
So let me let me move on to how we implement it. How do we learn and improving it better? Uh, I'm gonna quickly talk about learning teams, right? Learning teams uh, is where we gather people who do the work, uh, let them talk about the work, how it normally goes right, and possibly today, maybe why it didn't. And why do we engage the workers in this is so important, is we look at this iceberg of ignorance, is that when we try to bring in people on the outside to solve this problem, they don't understand it. Workers understand what's going on. We need to empower them and give them a voice. That's why we know, and we live by the fact, that workers know the problems and have the best and lowest cost solutions. So at the top, we have uh, the blue line is seen by leadership. They don't understand it and they think it's pretty close to the black. And at the bottom, we have the blue line, the people who do the work, they understand it really well, uh, but those guidelines and procedures seem kind of iffy and gappy to them. And when we get together, what makes this really work is that we don't allow anybody to blame anyone, but we require 100% accountability. And there's only one way to make that happen. One is that we talk about everything that made this possible and allowed it to happen and say, what is it about our culture? What about the way we are? What is it about our work team that would allow or promote someone to think what they did, uh, to do what they did? And then we come back uh, after some time in that same meeting, we start with the leaders and we say, now we're going to all take five minutes and think about what about the way I am that would cause or allow this event or contribute to that kind of culture uh, that, we, that we just uh, enumerated and talked to. And that changes the people in the room, right? So as Mr. Nelm says, if you think action items are going to uh, solve your problems, you don't understand your problems about people. So pre-COVID, we got everybody together and we create a, uh, a comparative timeline and we would debrief leadership. Now at distance, we're thousands of miles from each other. We're separated in the rooms that we're in. We're doing that with a couple of different softwares. And if you want to talk about softwares, uh, be glad to do that. And we're having some pretty good success with some of those. So we followed a, a pretty simple process of training, implementation, evaluation, and adjustments. So let's talk about how we implemented some pitfalls and what good looks like. So we created advocates. We hold an internal, uh, we started an internal human performance conference. We do a human, perform, uh, human performance assessment, develop that, and this event review call. So these advocates are at the crew level. And we don't, we don't tell them they have to be one. We, we allow them to volunteer, right? We get one on each crew. And what they do is they learn more about human performance and then they go make it real. So here's an example of at a break, at a lunch, uh, that some guys are talking about uh, Lotto and the human performance tools use uh, around uh, Lotto. Our, our yearly internal human performance conference, we bring in a speaker, we talk about where we're going next year. We allow uh, the workers and the people who do the work uh, to get up and help create uh, through voting and discussion where we're headed next year. And part of that is also this assessment that we do. So we send out surveys, we go to every site, we do uh, work observations, and then we interview the people there. And we do all this in one day. And it's not, it's not an audit. It is a, it's a way to sh uh, for us to learn as people who own the process, because we believe everybody comes up to do a good job. How do we make them more successful? And then I'm going to end with this learning call. So this learning and sharing call is led by C-level guys. So this is Barry Boswell in my, in my world. And we look at things we can learn from these events that we've had and all the fleet leaders are there. And, and you know, we have a fleet of through 3,500 people, something like that. And we will have over 300 connections on this zoom. And we allow the people closest to the event, the people who were there, to tell their story, right? To give their account of what happened. 
and we br also bring in contractors. And the first time there, of course, they usually uh, get to learn a lesson around just culture because they'll tell us that they fired the guy or whatever. And we'll ask them, what did you learn from that? Now, we start every one of those meetings with the fact that we're not here to blame, we're here to learn. And when, when workers get to hear other workers tell their story, and when workers are thanked by leadership teams uh, for their input and in helping us become better, that's the fastest change in a culture that we have ever seen. So here's quickly some pitfalls. Not getting full top-end support. Full top-end support is not the ability to give you money to go train. It's more than that. They need to understand it and do something with it. Uh, don't be distracted by violation, these at-risk behaviors. Giving the tools before the training. Training workers before leaders. Leaders have to understand this and help you cascade it. Relying on the tools and the training alone. We have to have vital behaviors that we're all thinking about and reinforcing while we're out there. And probably one of the most dangerous is weaponizing the tools. So a lot of people say, hey, we don't punish for an honest mistake, but we told you to use the tool and you didn't. Uh, and that, that's an entire day probably of us talking to figure that one out right there. And then thinking HBI is great for them, right? So HBI has to be for everyone. We have to live this thing. It's not just another program. And then probably people, when they start to think that they're getting uh, pretty good at this, is they, oh, we can't blame the worker. I'll blame the supervisor or the manager because he didn't make the worker do the thing that he wanted. So as I said, 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound sack. I wanted us to have plenty of things to discuss. So that's Charles in the presentation. And that was kind of the closer, the last uh, six or seven minutes. I don't even know. I should, you know, it has all this data if I'd look at it, but that's the last, let's go with the last several minutes. You could time it if you care. I don't really give a crap. So I'm happy with that. Right. And, and I thought the content in there was really worthwhile, which is kind of what started the idea of putting this podcast together. And since I recorded it, I, I, I continue to listen to the Q and a, to the questions and the way they do it, uh, for these interactive conferences, if you've not been to one, is uh, they oftentimes will pre-record the keynote presentation and then do the questions live. They actually didn't do that at HPRCT. The keynote was live, and then the questions were live, and they just take questions from the audience and they kind of toss them out there. And it was it's always valuable because the questions are always really interesting. It's a snapshot on where people are on the journey, and so that's valuable. It's also really helpful to introduce some ideas that maybe weren't covered in the presentation. And that's exactly what the first question was, was doing. So the question was really around the notion of zero. And that's always a tricky question. It happens a lot. People ask me all the time about zero. You know, zero is our goal. We spend an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money telling organizations for years that zero is attainable and achievable. But in reality, it, when you set your standard at perfection, you're really setting yourself up for a dramatic amount of disappointment. And nobody really means zero. I mean, a stub toe is an injury, but is that really an injury? I mean, the, the whole thing is wide open for interpretation. But that really wasn't the point of the question. The point of the question is, is how do I take a leadership team that's dramatically aligned around the notion of zero that really has kind of hung their hat on the notion of zero and how do I take that team and develop sort of strategies to move that team to a more thoughtful place, a more realistic place, a, a really a more resilient and robust place, uh, a place that's more in alignment with actually safety, not as an outcome to be achieved, but safety, in fact, as a, 
as a capacity? And that question was beautifully asked of Charles. And here's what he said. Uh, zero is unattainable in its nature because um, we can't even imagine, right? So it goes back to this protectionist thought process that we will imagine everything that could go wrong, write a procedure that fits every single process and procedure and anomaly. And all we have to do is be compliant to that. We won't have a problem, right? So the combination of normal work often results in success and sometimes results in disaster. So we couldn't have imagined those things coming together. And the effort we spend chasing that is just like blame. That's a minute lost and where we move forward. Now, this one is, this is the second one I had listed of uh, things, ideas that are probably worthy to attack is this concept of zero. And I've seen some people who felt very strongly about human performance, but they couldn't wrap their brain around this one. Uh, and this is a, this is one of the more difficult, right? Because obviously they're going to come back. Well, what's the right target? Hurting three people? Right? Well, the right target. When we look at the fact that the the science, the the safety science shows that to prevent the things that really injure and kill people, it's around having essential controls. It's around uh, the ability to absorb the time to reimagine the work, the time to uh, do a pre-mortem, right, of this evolution and say, how might this thing actually go wrong? Because it turns out uh, almost every, after every major event, there's someone on the team who either felt uncomfortable or they said, I knew this was going to happen. It's just a matter of time, right? So it's about creating an environment where they actually believe, not that leaders just say, but they actually believe that there is time to do a complete and full pre-job brief. There, we really do stop work around here. And then we, we measure and reward uh, the stopping of work and celebrate it the most when it was really non-consequential, right? So it, it goes right into our beliefs around what can be prevented versus what needs to be uh, have a capacity built around it. And then secondly, the zero is so seductive because it represents, it represents the ultimate. And when we can't get the ultimate, um, we often lose all that time and energy and unattainable, and then we, we hang our heads. But measuring those pre-things, those essential controls, we, we, not just us, almost everybody was called probably. If you've implemented that way, you've seen the results go in the right direction. So then the last question, and you know this question's coming because it's the most asked question probably of any presentation around the new view, safety differently, safety to human performance, uh, whatever you want to call it. We got a million names for it and it hardly matters, right? That's kind of not the point of the podcast. And that's around the word accountability. But the word accountability discussion is pretty easy. We know what accountability stands for. It's really everything around what the symbol accountability means in an organization. And the fact that organizations oftentimes confuse accountability with discipline, confuse accountability with culpability. I mean, they're all, they're all really interesting concepts. And it's a pretty normal question, but it's a good question. Because this question was asked, Charles, around leadership and sort of their desperate attempt to keep their claws in this notion of accountability. And Charles approaches this 
in a really interesting way. He starts by talking about the culpability metrics, which always scares me because that's a the culpability metrics is kind of a developmental step. It's not an end point. It's sort of a thinking tool to help you shift your organization's understanding of responding to both success and failure. And he does exactly that. But he goes on in a way that I think makes a really important point. And that's why I left this question in. So listen carefully. And Charles is going to talk to you about the classic, the old classic accountability question. Here it is. So this is the culpability matrix, right? Now, in our organization, this was because we were so type A, so engineering driven, you know, nuclear. Uh, boy, if engineers just love a good flow chart, right? If you don't have a good flow chart, it seems like you don't have a process and we're just out there, uh, you know, wishing that things get better. So what I want you to know about this culpability matrix is I don't want you to ever use it. Uh, it was a crutch for us and we got lucky to get off that drug. What, what we need to go toward, and it does take a little faith, is the fact that learning and knowing more makes us better. And we as management team, we're, we're only paid to make this organization uh, profitable and successful next year, the year after, and the year after. So the decisions we make today around this blame and this culpability, they feel, they feel like action. They're very rewarding in, in that nature. But are they getting us closer to a resilient organization or further away from it? Uh, so when we, when we look at the fact that people come to work to do a good job, and that's why I said this shift is the most fundamental thing we need to talk about, is the fact that we need to know that people are human, they make errors. The fact that we all drift uh, and take risk, right? And you hear a lot of people talk about complacency. Well, complacency is a normal reaction to a stable system. Every, if every time I went to this, this wall over here and I touched the light switch and the light came on, uh, that's, that's what we'd be expecting. If I went over there one day and it didn't work, well, then everybody could say, well, he's so complacent. You know, he, should have, he should have checked that out. Well, it's never happened before. Why would it happen now? That's a normal and natural thing. <clears throat> All right, worth the price of admission. Let me tell you right now. There's a couple of things that make us special. One is that we have a leadership team that supports us all the way uh, to the top. I work in operations. I work with safety. I work with ODT to change our organization, right? And that those top leaders, I've got VPs and C-level people who will be glad, they're all busy, but they'll be glad to get on a phone with your VPs and your C-level people because it's just a lot more convincing coming from those guys than it is us to talk to your leadership team and to talk about, oh, this small percentage, we're, also, we're so afraid we're gonna give up our ability uh, to hold people accountable. We can always come back in what we call hold people accountable. We can beat them up and fire them. But when we understand the system and dedicate ourselves to making improvements there, we get so excited about the improvements there and see its impact that we say, you know, I'm willing to give some of this up to get that. Do we still discipline and fire? Yes, we do but it takes a long, hard discussion. And I am so proud, and that's, that's when you know you're getting somewhere, is when people talk about the long-term implications, what the context really was, do we understand this enough to make a good decision? Because saying, I don't know what they were thinking is not a good management position to be in. 
right? Let's get a little more knowledge before we make a decision that affects not only that person, it affects our entire culture and our future. And that is that. The end of his presentation, his list of things that need to be present for an organization to learn, his tips and hints, his pro tips, and then some pitfalls. And then a couple questions that I think it's always worth our time to think about. The elusive zero and all that it brings with the equation and the very complex accountability and all that it brings with its equation. And I think Charles handled those marvelously, marvelously, marvelously. But it's really up to you. I mean, it's kind of it's time for you to think about those questions as well, because these are the questions we get all the time. And they're good questions. I I certainly don't fault anybody for asking them because they're good questions. What I do think we need to be prepared to do is have a really good guided conversation that doesn't get defensive, but does get instructive. And it just helps shift thinking because we're shifting thinking. That's what we do is we shift people to think about the new view. Now, the good news is, is once they make that shift, it's hard to go back. So that's the pod. That's everything that we're doing today, at least. I think this was a good use of time. I feel pretty good about this podcast. I think it was a championship. It might be award-winning. Who knows? Until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Generosity seems to be a really important coping tool. It's a really important capacity to have. And most importantly, above all, without haste, be safe.